Julia Furlan, and I'm doing my very best Sam Sanders impression this week. Today, I'm talking to Anna Fabrega. She's a comedian who has like a bazillion hyphens in her title now. She's a co-writer, she's a co-showrunner, and she's a star in the project that she has out now for HBO. It's called Los Spookies, and it's totally blown up. It's in Spanish with English subtitles, and it's one of the most special, really unique shows I've seen in a long time. Los Spookies is about a group of friends who start a business that's basically horror for hire. They do things like stage exorcisms and trap an ambassador in a spooky mirror. It's entirely rooted in this like beautiful absurdity. It's so funny. Anna co-created the show along with Saturday Night Live alumni Fred Armisen, you may know him, and current SNL writer Julio Torres, who also stars in the show. So here is Anna Fabrega and me talking all about Los Spookies and what she's psyched about right now. Enjoy! As a person who writes and acts and now is like a showrunner and you are like 27, yes. you haven't had a birthday, right? It's My Leo birth- season. It's Leo season, baby. My <laughs> birthday's in three weeks. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you're 27. What are the things that are exciting you right now about like the many, many things that you've tried in your career so far? Um, you know, I'm excited to be at a place where I can have my hands in every part of the production. Right. Rather than just showing up to act or showing up to write, that I can be involved in helping choose wardrobe and talk with the art department. And I can sit in on the edits and I can give notes on the edit. I so like, you love all of that. I love that stuff. Yeah. And not, not just because I, I guess I am precious about things I write. And when I, you know, write something and I see it in my head a certain way, I I want to try to make it look yeah. like that. Of course, you know, getting input from other people. But um, with, you know, Los Spookies, it was especially a um, something that Julio and I felt so strongly about that we, we needed it to look the way that we had in mind. And right. we were lucky enough to work with people who uh, understood what we wanted to do and also had great ideas to contribute. Right. And Julio is Julio Torres, your co-showrunner, right? Yeah. And co-writer yes. for Los Spookies. Yes. It's funny that we're co-showrunners because we we wrote the season together, the two of us, and, well, the pilot we wrote with Fred, too, Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen, Um, comma, (laughs) known comic. Um, And... We had a cons- we had two consultants come for about a week and a half to help us with some story structure stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they arrived, one of them said, "Who's your showrunner?" And we looked at each other and we're like, "Oh, I guess we're the showrunners. <laughs> we're the only ones here. <laughs> it's us. We're running the show." Like you hadn't really. Thought yeah, of it wasn't until before. later that we were like, "Oh yeah, we're showrunners." Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we get some, like, setup of the show? Can you give me your sort of, like, elevator pitch? Like, what is Los Spookies? Los Spookies is a show in an unnamed fictional Latin American country about a group of friends who make horror for people who need it. It's like they stage events almost yeah um and they yeah they make the the prosthetics or the makeup or the costumes whatever that they need they if they need like a special effect made they make it but it is like um like a little performance right and they're like a gaggle they're like a little group and you play in the show uh, a character named tati who is just delightfully 
out there. <laughs> yeah, you can say dumb. You can go ahead and say dumb. <laughs> she's got like a squillion side hustles, uh-huh. but you can tell that she's also searching for something larger. Yes, she own. she's there because of her sister. She's, you know, and eventually they like find some use for her, but... Her sister Ursula, who's the mo- like sort of pragmatist and engineer of the group, yeah. I would say. Yeah, she's like the brains. <laughs> um yeah, she that that is like, oh, they all found what they're passionate about, and I haven't yet. So right. that's her journey. And the show came to be because Fred Armisen pitched the like general idea, and then hired you and Julio Torres to come and develop yeah. it. And then you guys wrote the re- you and Julio wrote the rest of the season. Yeah, and Fred Armisen also stars in it. There are so many great actors in it. It's so mm-hmm. much fun. Oh, thanks. Um, and you shot it in Chile. Yes. Was that a choice? So initially the show was set in Mexico City, and then we couldn't shoot in Mexico City for a variety of reasons. So then we were looking for places that we could cheat to look like Mexico City. Mm. So we wound up in Santiago, and after we shot the pilot um, and, and we got the series order, we were like, we don't want to buy like tie ourselves down to this like authenticity thing because right. – you know, we're from all different places. We're shooting in Chile. It feels weird to to try to really sell Mexico when I'm not Mexican. Neither is Julio or Fred. Our director was Mexican, and the other lead actors are Mexican. But we decided that let's just do it in country X and go back to Chile and not worry about Mexican authenticity. Right, and also, so the show is also in Spanish, which is really worth saying because having a major show on HBO that's entirely in Spanish with subtitles that is like this level of popular is really exciting. But what I was going to say is that like white people won't notice the authenticity in the same way, I think, is is my thought too. Mm-hmm. Where like you're going to read as a like Latin American or Latinx show mm-hmm. regardless. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of stuff that if you're not a native Spanish speaker. I think you get more out of it if you speak Spanish. I think it's very funny in English. Like the subtitles are funny and stuff too. But I think there's like little things that if you're not from Latin America, they they go over your head. It's oh not God, a distraction yes. if you're not you're not like out of the loop, but you don't even know that there's like an extra joke going on. Oh my God, absolutely. I had there were so many moments like that that are they were stylistic choices too. Like mm-hmm. like herba life wait what is the what is the yerba fake light one? yerba light uh-huh. like that and the chalk there's a um julio torres plays andres who is the heir apparent to a chocolate fortune that the chocolates are sort of like off-brand american chocolates mm-hmm. right yeah they're all knockoffs yeah and that is something that i feel like many people in latin america or from latin america will understand that there are these yeah. like sort of like knockoffy things it's like yeah it's copyright infringement right like <laughs> there's there's blatant copyright infringement all over the place and people are fine with it and then and then you get there's like the just straight up here's mickey mouse and then there's like here's like a wonky mickey mouse look alike <laughs> that they were like oh this is different enough but it so clearly it's just yeah. When I was little, the crib that I had when I was like a, a baby in Sao Paulo was like a sort of misshapen Winnie the Pooh. Like it looks like <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, but it's like not really. It's not quite right. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. a little, it's a little, you know, it's it's whatever. It's, yeah. But and there's like the specific aesthetic of Ronaldo's home mm-hmm. where he lives, where his mom collects like little figurines of this dog. Yeah. There are so many things that feel like 
Easter eggs for somebody who understands them um, from this like Latinx context. Yeah, I, I think I mean, and, and that's all like we had such talented crew down in Santiago who were like doing our wardrobe and our art department stuff and our director mm-hmm. was also like very helpful in, in creating the like the visual style of the show. Right. The art department would just put in little details that were like, oh, that's perfect. There's um, uh, the, the scene in the mayor's office at the beach town. Her heels are in a little corner next to her desk to imply yeah. that she like took her heels off uh-huh. and left them by her desk. They're, and they would just do things like that that when we'd see them, we're like, oh my God, this is brilliant. It's and perfect. It, and it really helps define who these people are and where we are. Can you talk about how the like horror aesthetic in Latin America, how important that was to informing the, the show itself? Well, the show's not... I, I was talking to a friend about this last night who was like telling me that when she saw the trailer, she was confused by it and then was like, I don't really like horror stuff and I don't like like horror comedy stuff, What? but it's my friend's show. I'll watch it. And then she's like, it was not at all horror. Right. And it's not. It's not a scary show. It's not a gory show. It's not it's, gory either. Yeah. There's nothing. Uh, I, I feel like horror is like a misleading uh, descriptor in some ways, um, but the aesthetic, I think, of, like, Ronaldo's character, his clothing and that kind of thing that's, like... He's, like, a cool goth. goth. Yeah, like, a cool goth um, who Who is, leads the group. He's, like, the sort of... Like I the mean, ringleader. Yeah, yeah, of Los Espookies. Yeah. I think his look is very true to, like, you know, goths in Latin America who is, like, wearing those, you know, these long sleeves and the mesh shirts and the torn-up things and the big chain and yeah. whatever, but, but it's, like, 100 degrees. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're dying, but your commitment to the look is, you know, so strong that you're going to go for it. Yeah. And then the other elements of it that I think, like, aesthetically feel true to Latin America are sort of this, like, magical realism in Spanish literature and stuff. Um, where the the world is very dreamy in many ways, and it and there are things that happen that you know would not happen in the real world, but in this world it's real, and it just yeah it it, it like creates a, a mood and an atmosphere where it's uh, not bizarre for them to for this group to exist and do what they do and for things that transpire to happen. Right. Yeah. Um. What What would you say inspires you in in your writing and as you made this show? Real people. Real people. and What does that mean? Just, I don't know. I, I get really fascinated by the way that certain people are. And there are, like, um, I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll realize later, like, oh, I'm imitating this person that I saw, you know, once or that I saw on the street or maybe it was someone I knew when I was younger. And then I can kind of piece it together. But I think a lot of what inspires my writing is, like, thinking of people who who I've encountered that I'm just, like, fascinated by how they are. Maybe it's because they're, like... I really like a lack of self-awareness, uh, um, yeah. which I think that they has a lot of. Um, and people who are, like, al- almost, like, living their life with blinders on, where their idea of reality is so different from everyone else's, but they're also very sincere and very earnest um, in a way that, I don't know, almost like makes you feel bad for them because it's like, don't you realize that the way that you move through the world is like, I don't know, I I don't want to say wrong, but... um, That people are judging them. Yeah, yeah. And and as I say this, I feel like it makes it sound like I'm like, 
that I like people that I can make fun of, but it's not that. It's 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 just people who I don't know who are like very earnest but not self-aware. Napoleon Dynamite comes to mind. <laughs> like a uh-huh. sort of like somebody who's like boldly going where yeah, nobody yeah. has yeah, gone before and really... kind of doesn't really care. Yes, exactly. That type of um dance like no one's watching. Exactly. The the dance like no one's watching people. I love them. <laughs> they inspire me to create. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I feel like living in New York, you are you could not be more surrounded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for a break. And when we come back, Anna and I are going to talk about the toil of making something when you have no idea if anyone's even going to like it. And finding out that the show was renewed for a second season. Woohoo. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discovery makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you can check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. I'm Shankar Vedantam, host of NPR's Hidden Brain. Think deeply. Here to tell you about our summer series, U2.0. Ideas and advice about how you can respond to life's chaos. Just do it. Just check to my inbox. Just check. Just check. Just check to my phone real quick. With wisdom. Listen to Hidden Brain every week. We're recording this in July, and there was just news this week that season two was mm-hmm. picked up by HBO. That's so exciting. Yeah. So it feels like, did you expect to jump back into it, that world? Um, you mean in general or quickly? In general, quickly. Like, did you um, expect for it to be picked up? We, I, I mean, I really wasn't sure as we were editing. I mean, the way that these things usually work is that... Uh, you you need to pitch to the network a season two budget and plan so that if they green light you, you're ready to go. So right. we were getting, you know, things in order as if we were getting another season back in like the late spring, still not knowing if we were officially going to. But once that ball sort of kept rolling and HBO was asking more questions, it was like, okay, I think they want to give us another season, but I don't know. You know, so it was never official until like a couple weeks ago when they told us we're going to order another season. Um so I, but but there were definitely moments while we were editing editing that Julio and I were like, "Is anyone gonna like this show? Is it gonna be a disaster? Is HBO going to be like, oh my god, we're so embarrassed that we made this?" Um, and yeah, I, I really was not sure. And then once it got out um, and the reviews were positive, we were both like, "Wait, no one has said, no one has been like, actually, we caught you. It's bad, you know." So so I was like, "Wait, the reviews are good, and maybe HBO will." definitely give us another season but I don't know yeah I mean it's, it's funny because a lot of the reviews are like this is weird and good yeah and <laughs> I, I feel like weird is something that doesn't always get made yeah I think we got very lucky that the you know we development people at HBO that we we're working with like Amy Gravitt got to plug HBO got to plug Amy Gravitt thank you so much for the opportunity um, <laughs> that they they let us do whatever we want and same with Fred when, when we started writing the rest of the season and we'd share drafts um, they'd say, great, this is good. Maybe tweak these things. They'd give great notes. Um, and in the edit, too, really good at giving notes and making... They never tried to change the show or anything to anything that would be more like 
you know, quote unquote palatable, mm. but they were always just trying to help us make the best version of what we wrote. Like they um, weren't going against your vision. Yes. They were like, how can we make this stronger? Uh-huh. Yeah. There are lots of moments where Los Espookies is like messing with tropes that are sort of like telenovela-y and um, like I feel like anyone who has watched a telenovela or has like been in a an auntie's like living room mm-hmm. <laughs> can can relate. Um, but there, there's also like a lot of sort of queerness on the show that I feel is is very present in the characters and in the writing and and just in the entire universe of the show. Do you consider Los Spookies like a super queer show in that particular way? I think it is a queer show in the sense that um, these the, the the show is not trying to prescribe to anything. The characters are not trying to adhere to any like structures. It's a really free flowing show. Um, I think the like narrative structure of the show is like so open and fluid and you just kind of go along for the journey. There's nothing like there's no parameters. And I think that makes it inherently queer. Really? Yeah. And it's not that it's queer because there are queer people on the show or that it's made by queer people. I think it's just because we we let it just be what it needed to be and what it wanted to be. Yeah. Do you feel like Los Spookies is a sign of more like Latinx TV and media m- making it in a certain way? Like, do you feel that this show and, you know, obviously there are many that have come before it, but do you feel like this is there? there is something very special about the way in which mainstream audiences are taking it in? Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope that because of this show that Hispanic people making TV don't have to make shows about being Hispanic. You know, like if 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 Hispanic people can go in and pitch a show that's like, I don't know, uh, a workplace comedy at like a courier <laughs> service, like whatever. And it's not at all about their identity. Like, great. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. Or, like, um, I mean, I guess anyone for that matter, you know, like right, not just not, <laughs> not just, just like, as bad. Yeah, like gay yeah. people don't have to make shows about being gay, and all, yeah, <laughs> may everyone just make shows about whatever they want. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, do, but do you ever feel like Los Spookies has to carry the the burden of representation in a particular way? You know, in some ways, I think when when we were when the show was still set in Mexico, we definitely felt like, oh no, this is not. This is not like a burden that we want to have. It is self-imposed. Let's remove it before we shoot. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, my worry was that if the show like tanked and people hated it, that they would be like, "Look at look at the shit Hispanic people make. This is why they're not allowed to make TV." You know <laughs> that there would be some like intense backlash, and our you know uh, identities would be the reason to blame, not our imaginations. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm very sorry then yeah. <laughs> that, that it's tanked so terribly. <laughs> Time for a break. When we come back, how Anna first connected with Fred Armisen, and she calls success what it really is, a moving target. Be right back. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. When you can't be there in person, Zoom. Zoom is used by millions to connect face-to-face, across town, or around the world. 
Share files, video, anything, and connect through any device, desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone lets you do business at the speed of Zoom. Visit Zoom online to set up your free account today. Meet happy with Zoom. The world is complicated, but knowing the past can help us understand it so much better. That's where we come in. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah. I'm Ramtin Arablouei, and we're the hosts of Throughline, NPR's history podcast. Every week, we'll dig into forgotten stories from the moments that shaped our world. Throughline from NPR. Listen and subscribe now. I feel like what you were saying before about the you're inspired by tiny people, tiny characters that you've taken in. I feel like your comedy is really rooted in that like character studies of of lots of different kinds of people. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It um I mean most of my sets are like a bunch of really little jokes and they're like one line where hopefully I deliver it in the right way and you know exactly what I'm like referencing. Right. Um and and who I'm portraying. Have you always been really good at impressions or interested in impressions? I'm not good at impressions in a like celebrity impressions way. I'm very bad at that. I'm bad at <laughs> accents. Like I can't I'm, any audition that I've had where they're like, "Oh, you need an accent." I'm like, "No, I can't. I can't do that." Like I'm yeah, yeah I don't even want to try. Yeah, I'm <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> I'm not good at them. I don't I'm not trying to like but you're good at like little impressions. I'm good at little impressions. I'm good at doing impressions of of like I don't know regular people if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Do you did you always do that when you were like growing up? Yeah, I think in some capacity I've always been sort of imitating people around me. Um, I I mean a lot of my like I think physicality. There are certain characters that I'll bring like a certain stance to, or like what I do with my hands, or something like that, or or the expression on my face. That it took me a little while, but then I realized like, oh, I'm imitating my cousins when they were like about five, because I was what? so fascinated by how, like, just the way that they moved and talked, and I was like, oh my god, I want to take that and apply it to like an adult. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and and I've done it. I mean, when I was like in college and stuff like that, I was um I think for a long time I was trying to like shut that part of me off because I was like no, I need to be serious now and I have to like work and make money and do these things and like I'm an adult now. Right. Um and then eventually I was like, well, I You're can't. a child of immigrants after all. Yes, I'm a child <laughs> of immigrants. Um and and I was worried, you know, that, like, an employer would look me up when I'm applying for a job and be like, why do you act weird online? <laughs> so, like, everything was private. Nothing had my name on it. Um, and then finally I was like, I can't hold this in any longer. <laughs> so That's great. Yeah. Um, are, are you glad you did that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so happy I did it. Yeah. I mean, I like the work I did. It's funny. I, like, I used to be, like in like a finance track doing comedy on the side and then now I'm like on a comedy track and I read like econ and politics on the side wow. and it's like that's the stuff that I like that's why I, you know I, I didn't hate what I was doing <laughs> I just wasn't like super passionate about it um I read this one thing where you said that you when you first started out the rooms that you were doing stand-up for weren't like super hospitable but you sort of pushed through it anyway can you say more about that yeah, when I started going to open mics, first of all, I didn't know what I really wanted to do because I had only made things online 
Uh, I, I used to make like videos and post them online. And so then I was like, well, what do I, what does that look like live? How do I do this live? Um, and I was going to, I mean, I would just Google open mic and then like go to the open mic. <laughs> and it was a lot of the things that I do now, like imagine that one line joke, but with like more context around it, because I thought that you had to, that it had to be, that stand up had to be narrative storytelling right. mm-hmm. type of stuff. And so that was like not right. And then I was like, well, what if I just try doing like the line, saying like the one line that mm-hmm. I like? And then I started doing that and I was like, okay, this makes sense. But still a lot of people, cause I was still figuring out like the right way to do it. Like how do I right. differentiate each of these jokes from one another enough so that you know that joke is over, I'm starting a new one. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that results in a lot of just like blank stares and like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then once I got better at it, I think that felt better. But still, I mean, I, I still do shows where people are like, what are you doing? You yeah. Know? And it's like, well, that's fine. It's not for everyone. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm a little too highbrow, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you don't get it, that's your yeah. problem. Um, there are a lot of people who would consider having... Fred Armisen and Lorne Michaels' name on a project that you're working on, which Los Spookies does. Um, like, literally, like, that is the making it. That's what making it in comedy looks like. How do you do you think that that helped? I mean, how did that help you? How did I'm not going to pretend like well, it didn't. Well, yeah, of course it, it was helpful. Well, when, when Fred came into my life, that's when I really felt like, oh, wow, this is like... Um, Am I gonna get to work in comedy now? Like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> right, because you have you have videos with Fred Armisen. Yeah. So uh, he and I got in touch because um, a few years ago, Portlandia was hiring a writer, and uh, my agent at the time was like, "Do you have a writing sample you can submit?" Like, you know, most people sound like a script or something, and I didn't have a script. I was like, "I don't. I've never written a script like that. Like, I have no idea." But I had a zine. Um, that it had, like, a bunch of jokes and, like, pictures I'd made in, like, Photoshop. And I was like, oh, I'll uh, I'll just send this. And the cover, it's called The Truth About Pangea. Yes. And the cover is, two. like, oh, no. there's the, there's one and there's two. Okay. Um, and, and at the time, only one existed. And the cover was, like, a big black and white picture of me looking so stupid and, like, doing a <laughs> peace sign. And, um, and so I sent that. And then the producer, Alice Mathias, who is a producer on Los Spookies also, um, she called me. She's like, I was going through scripts and, you know, all the scripts look the same. And then suddenly there's like this like weird picture. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and I started reading it and I thought it was really funny. And I showed it to Fred and Carrie. Um, and then like, you know, I had the meeting with Carrie. Long, I ended up not, yeah, ended up not getting the job. And then Fred was like, I think you're really funny. I like your stuff if you ever want to make stuff together. And I was like, I mean, I was such a fan. I mean, I still am a fan, but I really was like, it's like such a big fan. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I this this guy like he likes my work. Like, how old no. were you at this point? I was twenty three, oh twenty four. Wow. Um, wait, how old was I? This was in twenty six. I was twenty four. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. and and then he helped me like pitch some stuff he he you know we made these videos when he was in town or just like remotely the first thing that we ever made together was this like webcam video that we recorded on webcams um because we were not in the same place um and like just for fun yeah yeah he was like do you want to make something? I was like, sure. <laughs> what if we do this? Because I don't know what else we could do being in different states. Um, and and then he, you know, obviously helped me 
bringing Julio and I into this was like so nice. I'm like you didn't. He could have picked anyone, right? Um, and he's sort of like a mentor to you, and yeah, of ways. in a way. And he's obviously, you know, if he puts his name on something, people are like going to pay more attention, especially when you're starting out, you know. Right. So um, having him like support me, I think definitely helped me a lot. You know, right. for people to not be fully dismissive <laughs> of, of <laughs> what I want to do. <laughs> right, and Lauren Michaels too. Yeah, so so Lauren obviously he and Fred have uh, a long history. Um and and I've I mean I I never worked at SNL or anything. I've never had like close encounters with Lauren other than, you know, stuff through Los Spookies. Um but you know, when he liked the scripts and everything, I was like, yeah, let's, you know, put our production company behind this. Um yeah, and HBO, too, obviously feels comfortable with, you know, their names on a show. And other people are like, okay, I trust those names. That's right. Do you ever, like, what does that level of success feel like? It feels like it was it happened sort of, like, very quickly and um, serendipitously. Obviously, you worked really hard for it. Yeah, um, yeah no, it, it does feel like, I mean, it don't, like, even hearing you say that, I'm like, Am I successful? Like, I'm successful. Like, yes, I feel successful, but I'm not, like, a celebrity. You know, people, not everyone knows who I am. I can walk down the street and no one bothers me. Just wait. But, you haven't done this podcast yet. Now the podcast is like, out. Wait a second. I heard you ordering. Are you, were you just on a podcast? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's weird because it's such a moving target, you know? Success. Like, yeah. And, and when I was still working my old day job, I was like, well... I, f- I felt so happy because I was doing stand-up. I had made so many new friends. I was like, I felt really happy. And I was like, but I still have my day job. And it's fine. I like the work I do. Like, this, I'm perfectly happy right now. And then, you know, I get to quit my job. And I'm like, okay, well, now I want to, like, get a job like this or like that. And then you get that job. And you're like, okay, well, now I want to do this. I want to make a show. And you make a show. And it's like, well, what? I guess now I want to sell another show? Like, I I don't know what, like... It's. I, I feel very happy and very fortunate to be in the position I'm in, um, but I also feel like, um, in many ways, like I'm just getting started, and that what I want is like constantly shifting. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that moving target is a really good way to describe it. Also, just you're aspiring to a lot of things, and mm-hmm. you have a lot left to do. Yeah. Right? Um, I hope. I mean. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> Well, Anna, thank you so much for spending time with me. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Anna Fabrega. Loza Spookies Season 1 is available on HBO now, so go and watch it. It's really, really good. And this Friday, I am excited once again to be filling in for Sam on the Weekly Wrap. And for that episode, do not forget to share the best thing that happened to you all week. You know how. You just record yourself describing your best thing and you email the file to samsanders at npr.org. It's going to make me cry and you just might hear yourself in this Friday's show. Okay? I want to cry. Tell me your best thing. I love it. It's like my favorite part. Talk to you then. I'm Julia Furlan. Thanks for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. NPR.